no gold to find, a noble brotherhood will last. But when the piles of gold begin to grow, that's when the trouble starts. Incidentally, Hello. did I tell you we were on Patreon? Oh! <laughs> Uh, are we? No, I was going to say. <laughs> um, hello and welcome to episode 105 of... 105? Yeah. Why wouldn't you say it like that? Um, of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we discuss films previous treasure hunters have described as masterpieces. Um, I am Nick, the wise old prospector of the podcast. And I am joined, as ever, by Roger. Well, I I hope I'm the vaguely sensible guy, as opposed to the really can't hack it, even if he is played by, yeah. (laughs) Let's just see who's alive by the end of the podcast, shall we? We are discussing another um, uh, Ribbon of Memes uh, alumni, favourite, John Huston um, and uh, his 1948 film... Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we we will move to other eras, but I... I that oh, uh, are... no, no, no objection to that. No, I was just thinking that I... I watch a lot of films of this sort of era. I, you know, I, I, I don't think I demand you know, super fast pacing and the immediate involvement in the action and so on, but this really does start off with, okay, it's it's Bogart the bum here. It has a, a languorous uh, beginning. It's true. Um, Bogart was uh, is kind of a rising star at this point, or certainly um, by the time it came out. No, I, th- I think he's pretty solidly established. Yeah, but he kind of relished the idea to play. I think he said to someone, "The nastiest piece of shit you ever saw." Um, mm-hmm. And he's not. He's not. For, he's certainly one of our less pleasant characters we've watched. He reminds me a bit of um, uh, Adam Sandler's character in. Um, Mm. Uh, that film that we didn't Uncut like. Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. But uh, unlike Adam Sandler's character, I found him very watchable here because it's Humphrey Bogart, I have to say. And he is a good actor as well as a star. Yeah. And, mm, well, well, we'll come to what I think the point of the film is because to me it was yes. very obvious and perhaps a sign of the greatness of the film is that people don't necessarily all agree. Um but it's interesting to see. Oh, he he is Bogart the bum. He he is he is an American. He's stuck here in Mexico. He's, you know, be- begging for money for a meal and a shave. Yeah, I mean, he's really at rock bottom. And one of the things I found interesting is that we never see how he got there. No, that is a very. Uh, I think we'll come on to that as well. That um, that said, however, he got there. The other characters of the film also got there too. They're also at rock bottom. Mm. Uh, this notably would be um, Walter Houston, John Houston's dad, who was also a um, was he a star? I suppose he was a, certainly an established. Yeah, filmmaker. he was actually reluctant to take this part because he still regarded himself as a leading man. Oh, sounds a bit like Edward G. Robinson in um, yeah. Indemnity, <laughs> and has a similar role actually of greatly elevating the film. In a, I mm. think it's a bit harsh almost to call this a supporting role. It's because it, really it's a trio of um, uh, main roles. Well, perhaps a bit less. Um, Tim for, Holt. Yeah, thank Is it you. Tim Holt. Um, yes. But <sighs> it, yeah, it, it's Histon who who just grabs my attention. Mm. That 
I mean, okay, let, let's sum, summarize the plot. Uh, they, 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 you know, Bogart, um, Curtin, I guess, uh, is, yes. No, Dobbs, Dobbs. Dobbs, that's right, yes. I, I gotta say, they don't use the names very much, and, no, they do, you know, they're very iconic memorable. characters. Um, but yeah. But, yeah, there's, he's got, yeah, so there, there, there is a bit of a rip-off, and, you know, they do, they do some work for a guy, and then he doesn't pay them, and then they meet him later, and, um, have a free and frank exchange of views. <laughs> they do, I, I, so I, um, uh, sorry, do the plot summary and then we can talk about the early part of the film. Well, um, with, with this small amount of money, they, they, um, get together with, uh, Howard Houston. Um, and let's go and get gold. This guy knows how to do it. We've got money. We can, we can yep. get the equipment we need. Let's go find Easy gold. Easy peasy. How hard can it be? <laughs> Here is a hint. Howard. He's living here in a flop house with you guys, even though he has previously gone and found gold and brought it back. That might have been a bit of a clue to them. But he is great, and even in those early scenes, he's got that that combination of, yeah, I have done this before, I have seen every form that gold fever takes in a man. Yeah. And yet, I know perfectly well I've got it too, and I'm going to go for it one more time. He plays a great, crazy old man who seems, at least at first glimpse, to be saner than the other two. But he is still kind of crazy. I I don't know quite what it is about him. I find him as captivating to watch, almost, mm. as as uh, as John Huston is a director, really. He's just got... For me, I think the film wouldn't be half, of, half as good without Walter Huston in it. He's just really yeah. watchable. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm not sure who else could have counterbalanced Bogart at that point and and done the role right. Yeah. No, yeah. it's tricky. Um, so, uh, I mean, things go wrong, um, which we'll come on to, I guess. But the early part of the film is a good, I don't know, twenty minutes or so. This is a reasonably long film for the period because mm. it is over two hours, but it really does hammer home. Like, the first opening scenes are just Bogart, basically repeatedly bombing money um, uh, from the same man, who it turns out is John Huston, <laughs> the, the director mm-hmm. of the film, in a nice little cameo. But it, I don't know. I, found, I, I accept it's a slow start. What I really like is just sort of honing in on the details, and I don't know why I found it watchful, of the... Um, of the deal, you know, they, they work for this guy and it shows you the backbreaking work they do and then how he wriggles out of paying them. And then, as you say, this, this is a pretty nasty fight in a, in a, in a bar. I was won over by the bar fight because it was such yeah. a thoroughly unglamorous bar fight. Um, it was, there was no dramatic music. There was not, it was just people desperately trying to knock the shit out of each other. I'm kind of reminded of, um, the fight towards the end of Strange Days. You know, the, these are not, pugilistic experts or anything they they are just you know, i got nothing to lose here and i am going to get what i want well i think the reason for me the bar fight you know what the stakes are are for them they've got hmm. nothing they've got nothing to lose they didn't give a shit they, you know what the stakes are for him um he's in real trouble um and it's just a nasty there's no kind of there's no i mean they're in the moral right 
but it doesn't feel like it desperately. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. a horrible punch-up. Um, so it, it works, yeah, I agree, it works really well for me. And I, I think partially because they've laid the groundwork with this, yeah, pretty slow start. So by the time you get to them in this flop house with this crazy old guy uh, who clearly knows a lot about prospecting, you're kind of as desperate as them in mm. some ways for the film to get on with it. <laughs> um, and in some ways you understand why anything is worth a try, even going out into the middle of um, nothing. In the middle yeah, of it's not that this life is going to kill you, but it will absolutely take all your self-respect. Yes, that's right. As we see, you know, Bogart starts with just, he's no, uh, he, he's got nothing really. He's, he's mm. happy to, um, anything of anyone really um it's uh, so i found the opening works it, was it slow for you, Were you well and, uh, about- until we got up to the point of the bar fight and that then okay. the whole thing just clicked for me but yeah i i agree it needs to be like that mm. having seen it and if i watch it again you know i, I will be aware of that it, it, I, I did find it a, a little uh tricky the first time through yeah fair enough um and we have we haven't said much about him Tim Holt because he's sort of um, I mean he's very good in it. It's good. He's, he's and I I think he needs to be there, but he doesn't leave. Uh, he's he's possibly the most conscientious of the three, possibly. Hmm. Um, but he, again, he's involved in this pretty gritty fight, and he's quite heavy. He's as far as the morals go, he seems to have some, unlike Dobbs. Um, but so but it, these three guys, I mean, they don't know each other particularly. They've run into each other at random, but they are friends. Yes. And they are, they are full of great ideas and, you know, his, you know. Well, that's, a, that's one of the things I found, I found very, um, indicative, uh, to both Curtin and, uh, Dobbs. It's, we will go there, we will go there, we will get the guild. It'll be the one big strike. It'll set us up for life. Never have to work yes. again. Yes. Whereas Howard is, eh, I'll do one more time around the cycle. He's, I've, yeah, I've, I've he's been, been here before. before. <laughs> and he's, he's clearly struck rich before mm-hmm. by the looks, well, by the way he's talking. And there's nothing he does or says that makes you feel he couldn't have struck rich before. But they never, it's interesting, they never question, why are you doing it then? Why, why are you here? What happened to it? Yeah. And then, so, yeah, so out into, this, this was filmed, uh, actually in Mexico, one of the early films to be filmed, uh, early Hollywood films to be, uh, filmed on location. Well, I think there's quite a few studio scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah, as I mean, well, the, the but, interiors yeah. are, are, I think, pretty much exclusively studio, but, yeah, it was, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, mostly, mostly in the state of Durango. There's some street scenes in Tampico, but most of the internal stuff's in studios. And presumably the bits around the camp are probably in studios and things. But yeah. it were You really get a sense of place. Um, and pretty quickly, our two um, non-crazy old guys work out, this is going to be hard work. It's not just... they find. I like the bit where they find a lump of pyrite early on and they're so excited about it and they mm-hmm. just... Uh, the old guy laughs his ass off as he realises just how inexperienced they are. And he's quite right. There's moments when he says, you two would be dead without me in a week. Uh, and he's quite right. And they know it. Mm-hmm. And then... Okay, th- this is this is my thesis on what this film is about. And it is basically... 
stress and moral failure. Okay, yes. Because what, because, you know, they are, as things, well, A, it's being a lot of work and they have to decide when they're going to say, right, we've got enough, let's go home. Yes. Um, and then B, that there are other complications, like, you know, there, there are a bunch of bandits who. Wonderful bandits. My favourite bandits in any film. <laughs> yeah, may, maybe we will, um, drive them off this time, but they're still out there. We haven't killed all of them. Yes. Um, there's another guy who comes along and is obviously, yeah, yeah, you guys are obviously prospecting for gold. You're, you're not hunting as you claim you are. This is obviously complete rubbish. Yes. And they have to decide what to do about him. Well, I wanted to talk about that a bit. So they've, um, they find the gold. It's hard work. But to be honest, throughout, throughout all that hard work, while they've got something to focus on, they are, you know, they're working quite well together. Even Dobbs isn't as thoroughly unpleasant as we've seen he's possible to be. Um, yeah, and the, the, quite... there's, there's a mineshaft collapse and, you know, Curtin hauls Dobbs out of it. And, the, the, you know, this is fine. They, they are. They are working together. They're put, putting in the same direction. It is funny that though earlier in those scenes where the, the, it's almost like the old man who sows the seed of paranoia. Um, in that he's the one who says, "Look, we're all going to um, we should split all our stuff and we should hide our stash away." And it's from then that they the, the paranoia. Well, oh, oh, no, well, that, in. no. To be fair, that's only after um, Dobbs has suggested you know we should each have our own stash rather than having everything in common. Oh yes, okay, if, and then he, as, as I see it, Dobbs has put that in, and then um, Howard is saying, "Well, yeah, okay, if you want to do that, you got to do it this way." That's right. You're right. I'd misremembered. I was thinking it was his suggestion, but it's you're right. He very quickly realizes, "Oh, that's the way it's going to go." Okay, in that case, this is how we do that because he's obviously been on so many different digs. Then realize, "Oh, it's one of those digs." Okay, I, right. I must admit, this is a thing that reminds me of a thing I do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting a project with someone, and you know they, they may we may generate something that might be of value later. And yes. right then, when we're starting, I tend to say, "Okay, if we have an argument about this, let you know, let us write down now how we're going to split stuff. Now, while we are friendly and can talk about it, rather than you know in three years' time when we hate each other." <laughs> well, there you go. It turns out you are the crazy old prospector of the, of the podcast. <laughs> there but, are worse people than me. You know, there's a moment when the, the when Howard says, "Look, we've wounded the mountain. We have to do something to put it right." And rather than just laughing him out of out of the camp, Dobbs is like, "Well, you know, this mountain's been good to me. Oh, I'm I'm here to help." So even at the end of that, they're, they're doing well. Mm. Um, but it's it's sort of as they're starting to pack up and split up, it starts to go wrong. And I there's this moment when uh, this guy Cody. Um, uh, rides up and he is very matter of fact about now he's played as a very sensible rational man but he's also obviously absolutely wrapped up with gold fever because mm. we find out he has a wife uh, and children who adore him and they they want him back and he doesn't need the money or it's not as important but it's not enough for him to definitely absolutely risk his life um in this sort of way to the point where he just lays the cards down. And I I like that it's an interesting scene where he just sort of talks through, all right, you could kill me. Let's explore that possibility. Or you could... I'm mm. not sure how, quite how... I suppose it is realistic in a way, but it, 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 I like it regardless. I do wonder if this is one of the moments in film that has been spoiled a bit by the, uh, the motion picture code. You know, that would have... 
this moral quandary is quite um, helpfully swept under the carpet and done away with because he gets shot through the neck by bandits as they approach mm. the camp. Whereas I, I think there could have been a lot more tension wrung out of them. You know, they decide they're going to kill him and they all walk up to him with their pistols. Um, and presumably you couldn't do that in the motion picture code. You can't just shoot a guy to death and bury him up on a minute. Um, I mean, I think you probably could if, if it were somebody who then was shown to come to a bad end. So well, it, it would effectively that... have to be Dobbs on his own. Yes, and I think that would have spoiled the tension a bit because, you know, the, the idea was they all do it together. Um, so I, I feel like, I don't know, but I feel, feel like the scene might have played out. And certainly in a modern film, you mm. know, it would have had a pretty gory shooting and then them agonising about it afterwards. Well, I'll, I'll come back to that later. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, I, but yeah. I do wonder, it, I, I found that a really interesting moral crisis that they're in and how they try and be rational about it and I would have enjoyed seeing the sort of, alright, well we talked it through, obviously killing him is the right thing to do and then seeing how they cope with that afterwards but that was taken away from us a bit. Yeah, though also yeah, the, the, the tension is the stress is clearly starting to get to them. Yes. Yeah, if, if they'd run into him as the fourth guy in the flop house, then they would probably have said, yeah sure, come in on the expedition. Yes. You know, contribute your share and we'll do the thing. And there's more than enough money. We learn, you know, there's plenty enough money really for them. I mean, they're, they're going home with somewhere in the region of uh, $35,000, which, and this film is set, I think, in the 1920s. Yeah, about 25. Which is interesting because that's, you know, living memory for, for a lot of the audience. Yes, and uh, a few of the actors as well. Um, so, you know, we're talking. What's that? It's about 20 times now. It'll be like three quarters of a million hmm. in that kind of I mean, world. maybe not retire, retire in comfort for life, but at least have a, have a good little while. Yes. I mean, uh, knowing them, uh, not retire in comfort, certainly not for Dobbs, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it doesn't turn out that way. Yeah, anyway. I mean, you, you, it might turn out to be, I, I will put, put it all in, into uh, the, this really reliable company, oh crap, it's the Great Depression, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so we... Uh, well, this was your. You were talking then about stress. Yeah, your thesis that uh, the film is about stress and moral failure. So, on, on one level, you know, clearly Dobbs is a weak man, and the others aren't, because it's it's Dobbs who gets most paranoid most quickly. Yes. He's the one who suggests we should each have our own stash. Uh, he's the one who who starts accusing everybody of try everybody else of trying to steal his stash. Yes. Uh, the whole projection thing and, and eventually decides, right, well, I'm just going to go off. Uh, having, so, okay, so, um, how, Howard, and as they're setting off back, how, Howard has to divert. Yes, become a, a, a white savior to a, to a group of, um, natives. Yeah, I mean, by the, it's presumably several hours after the kid drowned that he gets there to do the artificial respiration. Yeah, so, it's a well, funny type of artificial respiration he's doing. Oh, that, well. that was actually uh, the the whole arms thing was quite standard at the time. Okay, uh, the so, chest compressions uh, doesn't really come until the Second World War, so it 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 might have been known to the audience but watching it, but it but it it's actually a fairly authentic period manoeuvre. That's fascinating, okay, because it looks very peculiar what he's doing. Because um, yeah, basically he's just lifting the arms up and putting them down again and, and not doing a lot else. Yeah, the, um, the idea of that is as a way of inflating and deflating the lungs. Yeah, and I can see that work, but there is, I, I guess to a modern mind, there's a much better way of doing that. But mm. uh, 
but it it somehow works um and the kid wakes up either <laughs> either because of that or despite um the artificial respiration um and he is then treated we get this vaguely um silly scene of him sort of lying in a hammock and these um, beautiful natives bringing him all manner of fruit and just treating him like a god it felt slightly out of place um it felt a bit over the top to me that oh look at these wonders that he has and he's been given but in any case he he is um this is a certain amount of okay we actually don't want to piss off these natives because they're uh, even if we could get away from it there are a lot more of them than there are of us yes and we we don't need them getting irked at us so that so that leaves uh dobbs and curtin uh to to uh take their shares back and within hours they are um uh, at each other's throats, uh, or literally holding each other at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it goes wrong to the point where Dobbs, Dobbs' paranoia spikes at this point. Um, uh, you know, they discuss running off with the old man's stuff, or uh, the, their initial plan is to head down. Is it back to Tampica? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he'll meet them there, and then they just, dis- well, Dobbs decides, no, let's go. Um, Curtin, uh, trying to save him uh, but it pretty quickly leads to Dobbs pulling a gun on him um, uh, and then Dobbs being in prison for a bit and then escaping and then eventually uh, he shoots Curtin um, yeah because let's face it you're, you're one guy in the middle of nowhere you cannot keep one other guy captive because yeah, sometime you got to sleep which is exactly what happens to Curtin he falls asleep um, Dobbs grabs him uh, kills him as he thinks and then has Shoot, great... shoots him. He falls off the, falls off a ledge. Thinks, okay, he must be dead. Nobody could possibly survive that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, he goes back to bury him um, after he has this later. Um, later. Di- yes, this dialogue to himself, which is a nice bit of. Again, it feels very filmic. You know, he's on his own now, so of course now he, he has to lose his inner monologue, and, <laughs> and it's all becomes. But we establish. Uh, again, it felt a little cheeky. We established early on that Dobbs does talk to himself a bit, so it, mm. it does it does work. And but, if, you do, um, if you're not talking to yourself, what do you have? Paris, Texas. <laughs> exactly. So um, this is not Paris, Texas. That's true. Um, so he goes to Barry Curtin. Curtin is... Um, uh, not there, in short. I can't believe I haven't made a, a, a drawn Curtin joke or something like that, but never mind. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try and work it in later. But he, he um, basically stumbles wounded to the native village... Runs back yes. into Howard. Uh, Dobbs re-encounters the bandit, and uh, again, one of my favourites. The oft-quoted, I don't know how well known it is now, but uh, we don't need your badges. Um, I don't have to show you no badges. Um, often misquoted as um, we don't need your stinking, we don't need no stinking badges. But yeah, I, I think because, particularly because of um, uh, blazing saddles. Yes, my main memory of it is seeing it in UHF, a Weird Al Yankovic film, where it's a man filming a wildlife documentary and then is told he has to have badges in it, um, which <laughs> promotes a similar tirade, mm. which I always uh, enjoyed. But it it probably didn't do wonders for the image of um, Mexican people um, in the eyes of the cinema. Um, I don't think yeah, the US market in the 1940s really thought much about Mexicans as people at all, so... Well, that's a fair point, yes, okay. But it didn't do wonders for it. Either. But in any case, it doesn't end but well for Dobbs. It doesn't. He would now, in the, apparently he was supposed to have his head lopped yeah. off. Yeah, so and the, the, this is the where the door. production code did make a difference. 
Um, the the original plan was one strike knocks him down, and then a few a few seconds later, another strike knocks the head off, and you see the head bouncing along. Yeah, and I think you can still maybe see ripples of it, and it, when they cut to a. Uh, but they, they basically used the the original strike twice when when it was clear that that wouldn't that wouldn't go through. I got to admit, I think this is a positive effect of the production code. I don't think it would add anything to see the gory head prop bouncing along the sand. I absolutely agree. I I. I quite, I mean, there's a, there's, you see a thud and you hear a, a pretty terminal from Bogart, um, from Dobbs, and it, that's all you need, really. I, I will say props to, um, Alfonso Bedoya, who is the, the, um, the Mexican, uh, bandit, who's just got the greatest face for acting. He's just so <laughs> expressive. Um, I, uh, I, I just, um, I adore it. It's definitely my favourite bandit of all time. I think <laughs> I'll probably think of another one at some point, but for the minute, uh, and th- that's it really. He, they don't know what's in the bags. Um, uh, uh, oh, they do. The bandits know what's in the bags, but they then, uh, ride into town. Well, no, 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 no. hang on, hang on, because that's a separate thing. Um, we, we have previously established that the gravel that has hauled out of the ground just looks like gravel. That's right. Unless you know what you're looking for. So as far as the bandits are concerned, you know, he's just got bags of sand for sort of gravel for some crazy reason. No, just leave them here. Yes, that's right. Um, they ride into town foolishly flaunting their stolen goods and are pretty quickly dispatched. Well, they're aiming to sell the, uh, burrows. Yeah, but the burrows are, um, well recognised, well loved burrows. Or, well, to the point they've well, got Well, specifically the brand's got written down. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, that's where um, Dobbs and uh, Howard find out where their money is. They go and get it, um, but they're so they have poured all the sand out uh, onto the floor, and then uh, there is a, a a convenient windstorm just before they get there, as the, the mountain itself returns its returns. Well, its I mean, even, even without that particular storm, I think it would be fair to say the the, the gold bearing sand has just been dispersed all over the place. It'd be very hard to distinguish it from normal sound anyway, yeah. as you say. Maybe uh, maybe Howard would have given it a fair shout. But they end the film And, as a, and at that point, you know, it's laugh or cry, so you laugh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there, there are... They, they, you get the feeling they come out of it right, wiser, if not richer. Well, Tim Holt's character, Curtin, comes out of it uh, wiser. Um, Howard's well, already... he, he's, going, he's going to sell what's left of the mining gear... And go up, go up north and uh, look for Cody's widow. Yeah, in the vacate, the, this guy who was quite willing to shoot a few weeks ago. Um, it might work out right because he has fruit trees. So yeah. bad news about your old man, but I hear you're on the market now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I've got this this thing about harvesting fruit. So. Well, that, that's another thing that I think works very well. You know, he he tells earlier that that, that story about. Here here is this that's this transcendent moment of when I was an itinerant fruit picker. Yeah, and Dobbs is there listening to it, and it means nothing to him. What Dobbs talks about is, I'm going to get a really good meal, and I'm going to get a really good drink, and I'm going to get really well laid. Yeah, doesn't, that's doesn't the, say it, but that's very clearly the next. That's thing. basically he's going to a, a shave at a beer in a whorehouse, um, and that's the limit as of his. Despite his desperate yeah. greed, that's the limit of his ambitions. He, he doesn't. He doesn't even know what he wants this for, um, and that really, I agree. That's a real kind of delineating point between them um 
Howard has got it kind of all planned out because he's been planning for it his whole life, really. What he's going to do and how he's going to... It turns out he uh, spends the rest of his days with the natives, we presume. But, yeah, whereas Dobbs... So, yes, I... Uh, in some ways, the film, I felt, is a bit on the nose as to the moral lesson. But as you say, when you dig into it, maybe it's not as clear-cut or maybe people well, disagree. the thing I found myself asking is, are, are we expected to think that this moral failing is one- or two-dimensional? Right, other, yes. In other words, is it that Howard and Curtin are simply better men than Dobbs? And yes. so, you know, there is a set level of stress that comes on from now we have all this gold to work with and they can take it and he can't. Or is it saying it takes everyone in different ways and Dobbs just happens to have the vulnerability to this thing. And I, I think in the end it's saying Dobbs is simply a weaker man to start with. Rather We're than, rather than a... it could take anybody, it could happen to anybody. Well, it kind of tries, it, it tries both ways, really. I mean, they all talk about gold fever, and as I sort of quoted at the beginning, you know, the, um, the reason we're given the strong impression that this hasn't worked out for Howard before is not the gold, it's the people he's been with, um, and what the gold did to them. So, there's a, there's kind of a very on the nose, um, warning right at the start. Look, this is what money does to you. And it's, it's telling in a way, you know, the barroom brawl is all about money. Um, there, there's hmm. no stakes other than cash involved and there's no, it, there's no kind of pleasure particularly and that, that makes it dirty and gritty. And I, I wonder if that's, the whole early film is about desperately scrabbling for money. Um, but the warnings all from, um, Howard are, it'll take you, it'll just take you in different ways. So well, I think it sets you up to think the, the latter. Hmm. Exactly as you said, that this is um, gold corrupts you, but more so Dobbs than anything. But ultimately, I do think Curtin, despite wanting to shoot someone to death, <laughs> I mean, they all agree to, you get the impression Howard agrees to the shooting because he's very quick. I mean, he's very quick and very shrewd. He quickly realises, all right, if I don't agree to this, maybe it'll be me in the grave as well. So he goes along with it quite quickly. Yeah, the, the way I, cho I chose to read that, I don't think it's necessarily supported by the film, but it's at least plausible, is, oh yeah, this reminds me of that time uh, 25 years ago when, when <laughs> these other guys had this argument. And I remember how that ended, so I'm going to not be the guy in the grave this time. Exactly. And uh, also, oh, by the way, because of my previous experience, you don't want someone to shoot first. We all need to kill him together, which <laughs> opens up a whole worrying um, raft of experiences for, for Howard. But Curtin kind of comes out of it more moral. I think, you know, he's given the opportunity to cheat on the old guy uh, on Howard. He doesn't. He wants to do the right thing mm. by Cody probably because of the guilt he was feeling that he had decided to kill him, even though he didn't in the end. Um, but also, he he's the one who's saying, you know, look, we've got a decent amount of money. We don't need to steal the extra 50% from the old guy. Yes. And and ultimately, it's Dobbs that just is... I, I agree with you. Ultimately, the message of the film is this guy is particularly... Weak and however, and I, you're right. I mean, you sort you open this discussion with we never find out how Dobbs got there, and I suppose I'd slightly counter that with well, we never found out how the other two got there. Though I guess Howard, we've got a fair idea um, mm. because we've just watched this. <laughs> He's just been through the same film uh, a, a number of times. But Dobbs is flawed right from the start. Those flaws are just brought to absolute um, 
to their absolute peak, their apotheosis, by the temptation of gold and greed, even though, as we said, he's just, he's not, he doesn't even really want the money. He just knows he's never had much money. He really wants some money. He's going to have pissed it all away within two or three years, probably. Mm. But he's the one that, that ruins it. So I agree with you. I think it's, although it kind of leads you towards thinking it's gold fever and everyone's affected by it, Everyone else is quite rational about, you know, including Cody, who turns they're, they're up. They're stressed, they're tired, but yeah. yeah. But they're not murderous, well, not entirely. <laughs> but, you know, even Cody's very rational about it. It's it's all Dobbs who's paranoid and ruins it. So I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. It's, I mean, films don't have to be a moral lesson. I'm not sure what the moral lesson is other than don't be a shit in general rather than, <laughs> rather than don't go out digging for gold. Yeah. Uh, and th- that's what I really like about this, the, the examination of how the stress takes these quite different people. Yes. And yeah, it's, it's, it's in it. They're all very distinct characters. They're all very watchable. As we've, as we both said, Cody is, it's, it's interesting to talk about him now because I think having, having talked it through, I do think Cody has a, has a purpose, which is to almost be the moral center. Not quite. Um, but, you know, everything Howard does is from experience and he's absolutely pragmatic to the core. Mm. Um, but Howard is more, uh, sorry, Curtin is more, uh, idealistic and moralistic. And Dobbs is the, um, the chaotic evil member of the, member of the party. <laughs> uh, and it also, I, I guess you, uh, I, again, knowing, knowing it's a motion picture code film, well, I don't know. Would they have been allowed to go home with the gold? I mean, I don't think it would have worked if they did, but I well, wonder if... they they... You know, I, I, I don't know the details of the code and how it was implemented, um, but I think it it would have been legitimate for uh, Howard or Curtin to go home with their share of the gold. Because they're not ill-gotten gains in their part, are yeah, they? Yeah, they, they, they are not, in the end, murderers, even if they might have been. That, that's where I'm not sure how it comes out. I, yeah. I will admit that we, we've talked occasionally about the Bechdel test and so on. This is a film with two <laughs> lines spoken by women. Yes. I actually edited the Wikipedia page. It said there was one line, but no, there, there's the, um, there, there's the woman who the, um, uh, gang boss has, has picked up while, while in the process of not paying his workers. Oh yes, that's and, right. Yes, and she he gets says, "You know, see me later, Senorita." Shrug, and she says, "Lopez," in a very pissed off manner. <laughs> uh, and and there's um, one of the um, indigenes says something in Spanish when, yeah, she, when, when she when she's giving Howard a piglet. She speaks foreign, so I'm not sure that counts as a speaking. Well, arguably, so is, so is the word Lopez, which is all she gets to say. Well, so, that's true. That's a fair but point. yeah, I'm, I I do not like um, films with no women in them at all. Yep, fair point. In the context, I there were certainly women who were tough and went out and did stuff. Yes. Uh, in the context of the code, sex would have come into it and that it just wouldn't have been possible to portray it. So even if they'd wanted to, I don't think they could have, but it's still a shame. I don't know why. There's something in me that seems to respond, and I've only noticed it with Ribbon of Means, there's something in me that responds to these... Uh, probably because I'm such a manly man myself, that it's, um, that responds to these kind of men having men trouble in tough places. And I'm thinking of Jaws, uh, with the, uh, um, when they're all on the, um, 
Oh my god, I've forgotten the name of the ship in Jaws and must immediately retire in shame. It's the Orca. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> while they're on the Orca and they're just shooting the ship together and the thing. Um, you know, it's all men having men troubles, you know. I, I'm not sure that I suppose alien encounters isn't necessarily always count as mentor, but it's just I don't know. I really respond to these kind of, and I do. Oh, I have some sympathy with them, though we dissected it a bit. Uh, the the argument that John Carter had that if there was a woman, John Carter from Mars, I mean John <laughs> Carpenter, um, that if there was a woman there, it changes the dynamic and makes it about sex, and that's not the story they're trying to tell. Well, I but, think if that's the way you're thinking, then you're really kind of part of the problem. But yeah. yes, exactly. I mean that you're right that if if that's all you can think of that women bring to the table, then I agree that that is problematic. But, yeah, I mean. It's a, it's a shame. I, it doesn't make the film unwatchable, but it, it it's probably one of the reasons I hadn't watched it until now. Okay. So that's one of the things that didn't work for you. Was there anything else that didn't work for you particularly? With... No, I mean, it pretty much holds together. Um, like, it's a, lot... a quiet... I was surprised that some of the similarities watching of the many would be king. Um, you know, it's these mm. two people who go into hostile territory, don't really give a shit about the natives, but will use them for what they need, um, become incredibly rich and then lose it all. I have assumed uh, it will be a whole lot easier than it is. Yes, exactly, yeah. But I suppose the thing that I think makes me prefer uh, the many would be king it's just the camaraderie between them is is there the whole time. There's no suggestion that they'll be well. They have their moment, but they're they're friends to the end. And um, oh, uh, and again, that is another one of my films that is kind of men doing men things mm. together. Sure. Um, but uh, I think this, I I do find this a very watchable film. Partly, I think just it's just interesting to watch the. The little snippets we get of how actual prospecting happens, as explained by Howard, that's really interesting. Um, Walter Houston is it's just great in it. I, I think Humphrey Bogart's great in it, and he really does show that he's an actor, not just a star. I mean, he's yeah, a world he, away he, from... He turns the charisma many notches down in this compared with other things we've seen him in. Yes. I mean, compare him to um, uh, Sam Spades or... Uh, Casablanca, um, uh, Rick in Casablanca, it's just, um, you know, both of those characters would be disgusted by Dobbs. Um, mm. It's just a very different person, and nicely done. I have seen Tin Holt in um, The Magnificent Ambersons, I think he's in that. Um, I don't recall being desperately struck by him there. I think Tim Holt's very good, he's just got the kind of the least interesting character in a way. Um mm. Well, but I think the other the most two, normal character, the most normal character, the other two, and also uh, again, uh, uh, Bruce Bennett was James Cody. Uh, he's, he's an interesting guy. I, I like, I like him, and of course Alfonso Bedoya um, as our um, Badges, Badges Bandit. Um, he's called Gold Hat, but he'll always be Badges Bandit. To me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, um, Robert Blake. Uh, largely a child star as uh, the Mexican kid selling lottery tickets. Oh yes, oh uh, yes. Okay. He he did a, lo- a lot of films as a child star. Uh, he did a, quite a bit in the sixties and seventies. Uh, he was acquitted of murdering his wife. Uh, well, that's um, that's an opinion of the jury about which case I have no no idea about, so I will not comment. It, it's Goodness. long and complicated and tawdry, frankly, but uh, yeah. 
Uh, well, we're probably at a point where we decide whether this is a masterpiece or not. Hmm. I mean, I'm going to say the usual thing I say, which is I haven't yet met the perfect film, unless it's Aliens. <laughs> uh, it comes pretty close, doesn't it? But it gets, yeah, the, the, this gets enough right that I think it, it would be unreasonable to say not a masterpiece purely on the basis of the one or two things that don't quite work for me. Uh, so, yeah. I think Aliens is a good point, actually. That is the counterpoint to my manly men doing manly things, because it's even better when you have um, Ripley involved in Newt's. Um, and and Vasquez. And Vasquez. Um, oh, sorry, I lumped her in with the manly men doing manly things. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, she's, uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great... Possibly that might be why... Oh, oh, Predator is the other film of manly film doing... That's possibly why Aliens may be better than all of the other ones I mentioned. Um that's a good point. Um, but as far as Treasure of the Sierra Madre goes, uh, yes, for me it's a masterpiece. And it's one of the reasons why I thought um, I'm always going to watch John Huston films now. I've seen The Man Who Would Be King. I've seen Treasure of Sierra Madre. I've seen um, The Maltese Falcon. So that is three for three masterpieces. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then we watched The Dead and we were less, <laughs> we were less masterpieced. Yeah, but to be fair, John Huston was not very well at the time. No, and it has its moments, but it, it's very different film to all of those. Um, uh, we also saw him in Chinatown. I can't remember whether we thought, I think maybe we didn't think that was a masterpiece or at least a flawed masterpiece. Um, but he's very good in it regardless. Um if you were to say to me, let's watch another John Huston film, I would be very unlikely to argue. Yeah, that's he's, he's, he's a good one. Well, there we have it. Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Anything you want to add at this point, Roger? No, I don't think so. Well, in that case, we will split the proceeds of the uh, of the podcast and go on. Our... Oh, look over there. Bang. Bang. Oh, you shot me first. Oh. Oh, Oh, well, we'd better leave it at that. Uh.